Okay. What's in a name? You know, in the parish, both Avraham and Sora, Sorai, Avram and Sorai, are renamed. And it's not, uh, it's not obvious uh, why they were renamed. In fact, it was, it's quite less than obvious. Each of them come to the story with a name, Avram, Sarai, and Nakarish Baruch decides that they each need a new name. So let's first uh, see a few psukim and the Rashi on this uh, on this matter. Vayi Avram ben Tishim shana v'teisha shanim vayarashem Avram. <laughs> so this is like a, an interesting puzzle. It's an interesting puzzle because it, it contains two phrases that are difficult for us to understand. One is Anikel Shaddai, which means God is revealing his name. He's revealing a name, but a red name that we don't know about, a red name that we don't understand. And the end of the end of the pasuk is now that you know my name, now that you know what I have to say, italech lefanai v'yetamim, italech walk before me, v'yetamim. Tamim means perfect. I mean, you know, when it comes to translating words, I'm always skeptical. But tamim, tamim means perfect. Aloch lefanai v'yetamim. Vetna briti, the second pasuk, vetna briti beiniu veinecha, varbe otcha bemaot beot. So you know that Abraham Avinu was promised two promises, and those two promises he was promised previously. One is that he would be father of great nations. He, Abraham Avinu. The second thing was that he would inherit the land of Canaan. Land of Canaan. You remember when Hakadosh Baruch Hu told Abraham that he would become the father of many people, he didn't find that particularly daunting, Avram Avinu. I mean, it seemed to him that if that's what God planned, that's what would be. But when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he was not so confident. Because Avram Avinu knew that Eretz Yisrael was dependent on the, on the standard of Am Yisrael. And so Avram Avinu turned to God and said, how can you promise me Eretz Yisrael? Because it depends on how people are. If the people are bad, they're going to be kicked out of Eretz Yisrael. I mean, that's a discussion in the previous, in the previous chapter. But here, <coughs> there's a new agreement. Maybe because Avram Avinu demurred, the new statement about the agreement between God and Avram Avinu only has to do with his progeny. In, in, in other words, Avram Avinu agreed that the promise that God made that uh, the, his progeny would be this, this much or that much or whatever, that, that that would surely take place. Whereas the promise for Eretz Yisrael, I mean, was always in doubt. So that in terms of our, you know, our psyche, you know, they used to say, what do they say? The, uh, <coughs> the story that we tell about ourselves, 
we, Am Yisrael, tell about ourselves. We always seem to have been very secure with the notion of our existence. Because it's not only true that we exist, and we went through all sorts of difficulties, but obviously we were determined to exist. And that determination to exist comes from ultimately from the promise of HaKadosh Baruch to Avram Avinu. I think. On the other hand, Eretz Yisrael was always problematic. And to this day it's problematic. Right? Ideologically, Am Yisrael is not of a mind, a single mind about Eretz Yisrael. There are some people, you may have met some of them, who don't live in Eretz Yisrael. Some Jews, I mean, who don't live in Eretz Yisrael. Not only don't they live in Eretz Yisrael, but they, they, they don't really seem to be interested in living in Eretz Yisrael. I mean, they're happy to be able to educate their progeny. Like, you know, Avram Avinu, HaKadosh Baruch said, you know, there'll be many, many Jews, you just have to take care of yourselves. <coughs> but when it comes to Eretz Yisrael, Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu, as I said, Avram Avinu demurred. How do I know that I will inherit the land? So Rashi explains, based on the Gemara and Tani, Rashi explains that it's not that Abravina didn't believe God, but Abravina by that time understood very well that reward was based on performance. I mean, you're not get Eretz Yisrael if you don't deserve it. So from the very outset, Eretz Yisrael was problematic, whereas progeny, the idea that we will become a great nature, was not problematic. That what? Who, Avram Avinu? Okay, he has no children, but it doesn't matter. <coughs> because, because if God promises that he'll have children, so he'll have children. I mean, what's the... What's the, it's not, it's not, it's not an issue. It's only an issue if you think scientifically about things. If you say, if you say the cumulative statistic is what determines the future. But if you say there are exceptions, everybody knows that today there are women who have children at a pretty, uh, what was considered once very advanced age. But doesn't doesn't matter, you know. Always uh, these. It, it was, if God tells you something's going to happen, when why should you have doubts about it? I mean, I can understand personally. I can understand somebody could have doubts about God, but how can you have doubt about what God tells you is going to happen? I mean, that's not uh, that's not a possibility. But when, so when when Abraham said, "But how do I know that I'm going to inherit the land?" It was not because he doubted God's promise. It was because he knew <coughs> that the promise was dependent on performance. It's only if B'nai Yisrael acted in a certain way that they would expect to get the land of, of Israel. So the land of Israel became, from the, the very first moment that it was promised to Avram Avinu, became an issue. And, 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 and so we... We understood that we had to educate our children. But we didn't understand we had to move them to Eretz Yisrael. And in spite of the fact that 
<coughs> throughout the ages. I remember when I was a kid of the day, Akiva, they used to teach us uh, the older Rishonim, the Achronim, you know, the, the great Jews who came in Aliyah, B'nai Akiva. They did not teach us about the great Jews who did not come on Aliyah, which uh, later on I discovered might be called propaganda. <laughs> but, uh, uh, well, that's how it is. There were a lot of great Jews who came to Eretz Yisrael. And there were a lot of great Jews who did not come to Eretz Yisrael. But all the Jews agreed that they had to educate their children. Everybody, everybody agreed to that. <coughs> so here we go back. Avram Avinu was 90 years old, 99. And God spoke to him and said, Anikel Shaddai, whatever that means, the name of God, a name that we don't recognize. We recognize it from last year, but we don't recognize it from this year. Means something. We remember that when Rashi compared Noah to Avram Avinu, he said the difference between them was at Noach. That Noah walked with God. And that was not a compliment, because walking with God meant you had to lean on God. You were dependent on God. But Avram Avinu, he walked before God, which means that <coughs> Avram Avinu uh Aravinu was with God in a different way. I mean, that's uh, Rashi. Rashi points that out several times. And here, the Pesach says, God speaks to Abram Avinu, and God says, Etalech lefanai ve'yetamim. Etalech lefanai, that's a good thing. Walk before me. Well, I mean, it sounds like a little chutzpah but it's good. Walk before me. Etalech lefanai ve'yetamim. We don't know exactly what ve'yetamim means, but tamim, the word tamim, means uh, perfect. You will be perfect. That, that, that before this agreement, he's imperfect. Now he's going to become perfect. Right? So that's what we talked about. The Brit contains this, this one stipulation of We don't know if that was ever accomplished or not accomplished or will be accomplished. But we're still around, right? There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. You can't have arbeot chabim ma'od ma'od unless you're around, right? If you're not around, then you have a problem. Arbeot chabim ma'od ma'od vayapel vayipol Avram al panav vayidaber ito elokim lemor ani hinei briti itach viti laav hamon goyim. Now there's a pasuk here that's missing. Believe it or not. Whoever made this sheet, and I'm only tangentially responsible, left out this pasuk. Where's the pasuk? Uh, I mean, you all know the pasuk by heart, so I don't have to. So it's okay that it's not here, but the pasuk says at the end of this conversation, or as a coda to the conversation. <coughs> Hashem says to Avram, you will no longer be called or named Avram, the name that your father gave you, that your mother called you. That name is disappearing. There's an etymology. Avraham, 
Av Hamon Goyim. What's Av Hamon Goyim? Lo Yodeh. Who are these Goyim? That Avram is Av, Hamon, Goyim. We don't know. Now let's look at the Rashi. The Rashi says, Anikel Shaddai. You see the first Rashi? Anihu Shiesh Dai Belokoti Lekol Bria. Right? He emphasizes the word Dai in the name of God. Okay? Shif Dai. She Dai. That there is enough. There is enough somehow of God to take care of everything. Patron, you know, is a word that you might recognize. Um, so, so Hashem says, since I provide everything you need, since I provide everything you need, Hitalech lefanai, Hitalech lefanai. And so Rashi says, wherever this name is used in reference to Hashem, it, it's the idea that God can provide. There is enough. God has enough to provide whatever is needed. Why God should have to say that? I'm not sure. This, isn't this something that we all understand? Isn't that part of the definition? Isn't that what monotheism is? <coughs> my question. So my answer to that question is, I don't know. You see the next Rashi? Because you know that Unculus and usually Rashi are anti-anthropomorphic which is, in Hebrew, today they say, um, Ha-Anasha, the word Aleph Nun Shin, An- Anashim, people, and those, anytime the Torah gives the impression that God is like a person, can be compared to a person in some way, <coughs> Unculus will invariably um, change it. And, and write it in a way which is anti-anthropomorphic, right? It doesn't, it, it changes the, it changes God from looking like a person to God being like God. So, what's the issue here? Hitalech lefanai. How could you hitalech lefanai unless you say God is someplace and not every place? You can't walk in front of something unless it's someplace. But if God is every place, then it's much harder to walk before. So there's some kind of a, a problem here, according to Unculus, and according to Rashi, who quotes Unculus. So what did Unculus say? Unculus said, Plach kadamai. Plach is la'avod, avodas. It could mean secular labor, like tilling the fields. And it could mean avodat Hashem. Because you know in Hebrew it's the same word, right? Avodah means labor, and avodah means service. Service to God. Service <coughs> of God. Plach likal kadamai. Hadbeik badvodati. Be very much attached to the service of God. That's it. Halech lepanai. So Rashi changes the obvious shot into a less obvious shot because of a philosophical or a theological position that he holds. And he, in this case, he depends on Unculus. Unculus, you know, was a Tana. Tana, he was a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva. Unculus, 
Ugulus is a primary authority for Rashi. Just like Rashi quotes Medrashim as primary authorities, he also quotes Ugulus <coughs> as a primary authority. It's not a commentary. Rashi doesn't really quote commentaries, even though he quotes grammarians. But in his parish Al HaTorah, he doesn't quote commentaries. Okay? Ve'yetamim. Now here we get into it. Ve'yetamim. Hitalech lefanai. Serve me, according to Rashi. <coughs> and be tamim. Well, what could that possibly mean? Be whole. Be unblemished. What does it mean? So Rashi says, Avzot tzivui achar tzivui. This is a command after a command. The first command is Hitalech lefanai. And the second command is Ve'yetamim. And Shalem Bekol Nisyonotai. I want you to be whole after all of the Nisyonot. There were ten Nisyonot, ten um, tests that God put Avraham to. So Shalem, you should be whole after you finish all of my tests, God says. Midrasho. And those Rashi, Rashi, you know, you can, I mean, I wish we knew. But when Rashi gives multiple explanations, it's, uh, was, it is, as I, I think I've told you many times, when Rashi gives multiple in, uh, explanations, you could say, <coughs> the Rashi doesn't like interpretation one, so he puts in interpretation two. To me, that always sounded a little childish, because why does adding interpretation two redeem interpretation number one? If interpretation number one is no good, so then he shouldn't quote it. And if interpretation number one is good, so why quote the second? But what I think is that it's not that interpretation number one is not good in itself, but it's rather that interpretation number one, according to Rashi, <coughs> doesn't doesn't get me flying with the eagles. You know, Ayatamim. Ayatamim's interpretation uh, uh, is uh, you should be whole. You should be whole. Why would God say to Avram Rabinu you should be whole? You should you should be successful. Uh, do all the things I ask you to do, and that's great. What is how does the word tamim, which Rashi obviously thinks, has more power to it and more something more significant. I mean, you can feel that sometimes when you, when you read poetry or you read literature, you suddenly find a word that you, that you think <coughs> must mean more than it seems to mean. It's not like I don't understand what the word means. I look it up in the dictionary, but I still don't get it. It doesn't... So that's what Rashi says about Tamim. So look what he says. Rashi says, Lefim Medrasho. What does Medrasho mean? What does Medrasho? You can quote me. Because I'm the only person who says what I'm about to say. The only person I know of. Maybe somebody else says. Medrasho is not pshat. You're not excited. I see it. You're not excited. So I'll explain it a little bit first. What is pshat, according to Rashi? It's understanding the words in sequence. You're still not excited. So that's what pshat is. You understand the words in sequence. Now pshat could be fantastic. 
Pshat could be based on Chazal. Pshat could have like some kind of unreasonableness to, to the modern ears. Oh, Pshat, according to Rash. What's Medrash? What's Medrash, Medrash, other than the technical thing that it comes from? I'm Medrash. It means it comes from a Chazal source. But when Rashi says Medrash, when Rashi says Medrash or Medrash, what Rashi means, I say. I'm not, I'm not saying this. I'm proud of it. I just don't want you to think that I'm giving you some information that anybody else agrees to. Medrash means the meaning of the word out of the sequence. What word are we talking about? The word Brit. I'm sorry, the word Tamim. And according to Rashi, I can't explain the word Tamim in the Pasuk really very well. So what I do is I take the word Tamim and I look at it like I put it up on a pedestal. And I say, what does that word mean? Forget about the Pasuk. And therefore Rashi says, Rashi says, Medrashot alech lefanai b'mitzvat milah. <coughs> what the topic is, the next thing that God talks to Abravinu about is, the, is mitzvat milah. Circumcision. And that will make you whole. That will make you whole. How so? As long as you are uncircumcised, then it's, it's as though you are blemished. You, meaning uh, Avram Avinu, his family, everybody, all the Jewish people, <coughs> you are blemished. So, Hayetamim. Hayetamim means circumcise yourself. <coughs> if it was whiskey, I would take it. It's, everything is worse than whiskey. No, but whiskey does it. It just it does other things. <coughs> I've had this call for uh, 15 years. What? More than that? No, I don't need any more. Thank you. No. I don't want you to feel good about getting me water when I know the water's not going to do me any good. I said, go get some water. Fine. <coughs> so, Hayetamim, Hayetamim means something else. The Mila has not yet been, it's like a new story. That's one thing. And Hayetamim is story number two. The word Tamim refers to the circumcision of Avram Avinu. And the circumcision of Avram Avinu uh, has not yet been mentioned in these two kids. It mentioned previously, but not mentioned right here. So that's what, ta- that's what Medrash showed me. What? Why does he? The Vav? Well, what? They? Hekalek? Oh, why is there a Vav? Ah. <coughs> it's not me who's saying this, it's Rashi. You know, what do you want from me? <coughs> I, I mean, whenever you say Medrash show, you're not going to be so connected to the sequence. That's what I try to... It's true that the Pasuk implies a sequence. But what Rashi is saying is you can't really understand the Pasuk unless you separate it. And you say, that's one topic. And, and is another. But you could say, that's another topic. 
I mean, Vav in Hebrew, that's so, uh, such a respectable thing. You know, it's there, it's not there. What difference does it make? But it's a question, it's a good question. Ubedavar hazeh, again, then he says, Ubedavar hazeh tiyetamim, shekoz man sha'ala becha, ata ba'almum, lefanai. Then he says, davar acher. What is davar acher? But why does he say davar acher? He's going to give you a second medrash. What does second medrash mean? What does second medrash mean? He doesn't like the first medrash? I don't think so. But what it means is that once you get into the realm of medrash, of that kind of interpretation, taking the word out of context, you can certainly have multiple interpretations as you have in Chazal. What's wrong with the multiple interpretations? I mean, what's, you know, nothing wrong with that. <coughs> Why can't a phrase mean two different things or point at two different directions? I mean, it's, it's perfectly fine. So what does Rashi say? And this is quoting a Gemara in the Darim. Rosh. <coughs> No. <coughs> so this is Rashi. I mean, everybody knows this, right? No, I wouldn't say that. It's a Rashi that's more or less at the end of the parish of Lech Lecha, and nobody ever gets to the end of the parish of Lech Lecha, right? You learn Chumash. You learn every, every week. You learn the parish. Who gets to the end of the parish? It's very hard to get to the end of the parish. Bless you. Bless you for whatever it is, but... Uh, but I'm embarrassed. I'm going to drink a little of this. I'm going to keep on coughing. So, uh, you know. But it looks like water, right? Is it water or soda? Thank you very much. What? That's true, except for the fact that I I'm enfeebled by my cough. <coughs> so have I if I was not coughing, I would have made the brook louder. There you go. It's okay. In any event, what is this story here? <laughs> so the Gemara says, oh, this is Rashi. It's like, like Rashi is, it's like, he has that annoying aspect to him, Rashi. Now he thinks everybody knows Shas and the Medrash. All the Medrash, the whole Tanchuma. <coughs> he thinks that he, he only has to refer to it and then you get it. But there's a little bit more here to get. The Kavara says this. Why did Av, God change Abraham's name from Avram to Abraham. There are several reasons that are given. One of the reasons is in order to add the hay. In the Torah it says because they want the etym- we want the etymology to be Av Hamon Goyim. <coughs> right? 
But in the Gemara it says, because Avravidu is missing a hay. So the Gemara, this is the Gemara in a kind of Kabbalistic fashion, says, I mean, Kabbalistic means, to me, right now, it means like a, a, something I would have never thought of. Right? That's a sort of a Kabbalistic thing. So in this Kabbalistic fashion, the Gemara says, Avravidu is missing hay, five, the letter hay, and therefore, Kodesh Baruch gave him the letter Hey. Now, what does it mean when we say he was missing five? It means he was missing Avarim. That a person has, uh, according to this, <coughs> he has 248 Avarim. That means different parts of the body. And those different parts of the body, they more or less do what I tell them to do. Right, they kind of, um, they work for me. But there are five Avarim, there are five Avarim that I don't really control. Five Avarim in the body that I don't really control. And those Avarim, those Avarim, in the, according to the Gemara, Shnei Oznayim, Shnei Enayim, right? Oznayim, Enayim, and Rosh, Rosh Hagviyah, the head of the what's on top of the body. What does that mean? Well, except for students in a classroom, it's very hard not to hear what's going on. Right? So that, that, that Avar works whether you like it or not. A Enayim. That's what we say. Shmirat Enayim. With your eyes... They operate on their own. You can't tell them not to see what they're looking at. Right? And the Gviyah, the Rosh Gviyah, of course, is where you think things that you shouldn't be thinking about. So Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu became, according to Rashi, the model of the person who was in control. Who's in control? He's in control of his ears, he's in control of his eyes, and he's in control of his head. And that made him tamin. And so Rashi, Rashi, I mean inadvertently or advertently, one or the other, teaches us that this conversation between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and uh, Avram Avid, which ended up with the name change, Avram to Avraham, produced an essential change <coughs> in the personality of Avram Avinu. From what to what? From what to what? From, I would say, we'll see in a minute when we learn the, the Rav Tzodok, he changed him from an angel to a person. We'll see what I mean shortly. But what does a person mean? A person has control. Who is as though HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Lech Lecha, El Asher Echo, you're going to live with commands, you're going to do what you have to do. <coughs> That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Abraham Avinu, but, now he says to him, you're going to be a free man. And you're going to have to be able to control those aspects of yourself, of the body, of the human, of the human being, which are usually not controlled so easily. Seeing, 
hearing and uh, at your head. Uh, <coughs> okay. Yeah. The thing is, what I'm trying, I want to focus on is the name change. That's the thing. Oh, oh mind the, like mind the doors on the underground. I think you're right. But again, I want to go back to the name change. I don't want to, like you're, you are relating to the different interpretations. I try to explain why Rashi produced different interpretations, and now I'm concerned about the name change. But the name change, but the implication of that further, is, is the name change a reflection of what Avraham has already undergone, or is it rather part of the process by which Avraham is becoming a mean? And thus it is part of a sort of larger educative process by which Avraham is becoming a mean, right? <coughs> the I mean, it's an interesting question, but I don't see how you could answer it. Based on the, on the information in the... No, I mean, look, uh, there's no doubt that the Chumash, we would be happy if we knew a little more about what was going on. But I think that uh, we'll, we'll, it'll be good if we manage to, to kind of say something about what the Chumash says. And, and uh, I can't, you know, I, mean, I really can't say anything about your question because it's a good question, but... I don't have the kalim to answer it. Okay, so we know about Av Hamongoyim. I want to remind you about two other events. <coughs> one is <coughs> one is Pasuk Tedvav. You see the same parak. Vayomer Elokim El Avraham Sarai Shticha Lo Tikrat Shema Sarai Kish Sarah Shema. Right? You see that pasuk. So Hashem tells Avram Avinu that Sarah is also going through a name change, that Sarai becomes Sarah. The Yud becomes a Hey. Uh, that even though Avram Avinu has been promised a son, Previously, from Sarah, previously, nevertheless, Akkadish Bokhan now says that that promise is contingent upon her name change. You change her name, and she will get this bracha. She will get this bracha. Rashi says, Lotikrach Masarai, Dimash Masarai, Li. Sarai, right, you know, it's Hebrew like it's Sar, Sarashali. It's like a man saying about his wife, she is my wife. So that's Sarai. And she doesn't belong to anybody else. Ki Sarastam Shema. 
again. Look, look at the Pasuk. Look back at the Pasuk. You see what Rashi says? Sarai ishticha. Lotikra shema sarai. Ki sarashima. So what is, how does Rashi explain this? He explains it that Sarai was sort of a nickname. It was the name that Avram Avinu called her. My Sarah. That's who, I mean, in, uh, you know, if you have a Yiddish grandfather, you might hear some combination of words like that in English. <coughs> Avram Avinu called her My Sarah. But what was really her name? Her name was Sarah. So that's what the Pesach means according to Rashi. Sarai Ishtecha, the woman, your wife, who you call Sarai, Lotikrachima Sarai. Don't call her Sarai anymore. Ki Sarashima. Because just like you are Av Hamon Goyim, she is going to become an Ima of Hamon Goyim. And since she's going to become an Ima of Hamon Goyim, so you can't call her Sarai. It's not like it's not like they're getting divorced, but it's sort of like she has an independent international position. She's Sarah. So you have to call her Sarah. You can't call her Sarai. That's what Rashi says. Ki Sarah stam shema Sarah al kol She will be somehow responsible for everybody. She, Sarah, will be responsible for everybody. <coughs> the second thing I want to remind you about is, these, is this Pasachim Breshit. See Breshit Perik Bet? You remember this? Vayitzer Hashem Elokim min ha'adama kol chayat ha'sadeh vet kol of ha'shamayim. Vayavayit ha'adam, this is Perik Bet. You know Perik Bet and Perik Aleph are similar but not identical. You may have heard of Rabbi Soloveitchik who actually wrote these two chapters. You know. <coughs> oh. yeah. Min Adama. Kol Chayata Sadeh Kol Ova Shemayim. Chayata Sadeh were created on day four for the animals. And Ova Shemayim were created on day five. But here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, We avail Adam lemot lirot ma'yikra lo. He didn't bring the Shratzim, he didn't bring the Dagim, he just brought the Chayot and the Ofot. And he brought them to Adam and said, call them, see what their names are. And the name that, I, that Adam gave to these animals, that was the name that stuck. That was their name. Again, right? Right? But when you go fishing, you never know what's going to come up. They don't have names. Okay. Now, look at Rashi. I mean, you remember this is in, in the story of Breshit. God creates everything and at the end he says to Adam, you name them. You give them names. And the question, which, I mean, of course, the question is why? Why should other Mauritian give them names? Why don't they come with name tags? You know, like divine name tags from heaven. You know, other Mauritian, like he says, oh, this is a cow. 
This is a horse. I mean, what does he have to give it names for? What do you have to give uh, names? Names of animals, by the way, is are, are, are an interesting topic. Ofot, I mean, this is a not so interesting. Rekek is um, is something that uh, oozes out of a person. You know, like anything that oozes out of you could be called rekek. And so the animals were created from the adaman, and the shratzim were created from the water, and it's not clear what the ofot were created from. So the Gemara says, Rekek, amar lemala min amar min Okay, so Rashi's clearing up a point. There was some kind of a, a, a lack of clarification about how they were created, what they were created from. Now listen. There's a further lesson. Miyad bo bayom. Heviyam el ha'adam, the Krotlahem Shem, on the day that they were created, they were brought to other Marishon, and God said, call them by a name. Call them by a name, and that's what the Pasuk means, that it was immediately, it happened immediately. That's the simple meaning of the, of the Pasuk. And then Rashi says, then Rashi says, B'divrei, Agadah, I'm not going to go through the whole story again of why Rashi said the Agadah, but he said the Agadah, <coughs> so Rashi is now explaining the first word in the Pasuk Yutet, which is Vayitzer. And you know that, I mean, this is what Rashi do. You know that if, uh, the, the, <coughs> the, in, in Kabbalah, and don't worry, I don't tell you anything in Kabbalah that you shouldn't know. That I do someplace else. That that we know that the world was created with Aleph, Bet, Yud, Ayin, right? Para, Yatsar, Asa. Uh, the verbs that are used and Amar, right? The verbs that are used in um, creating the world by God. And there's this uh, acrostic that is used to remember them. Aleph, Bet, Yud, Ayin. So Yud stands for Vayitzer, create, to create. Baraz create, the Yitzers create. But Rashi here tries to explain why the verb Yud Sadi Resh is used. And in the Devrei Agadah he says, Yitzirazo Lashon Ridui Vikibush. That when you name something, when you name something, that's like conquering it. That's like having it. That's, that's a kind of a ba'alut, a kind of ownership <coughs> that, that, you, that you make. Kimo, etc. So, so according to Rashi, the pshat in Adam HaRishon, the pshat in Adam HaRishon is that God said, these are yours, name them. And so he did. Adam HaRishon named the things that God told him to name because that made them all it created their function in the world. <coughs> and the function of all the animals and the birds, etc., was to be subservient to man. 
to allow man to exist, right, by eating, by, uh, 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 by, by catching them, etc. Okay, I don't want to, I don't want to do the, the last part. So if I would transfer that interpretation, the interpretation that Rashi gives <coughs> in, uh, in Breshit uh, about God asking Adam Rishon to name the animals, we see in the parish of Lech Lecha that HaKadosh Baruch Hu names Avram Avinu and Sarai. That before Avram Avinu, or that, that at the same time that Avram Avinu could become Avram Avinu, that Sarah could become the mother of all these nations, there had to be a distinction bestowed on Abraham, which was different than whatever distinction accrued to Abraham on his own. What I mean is that if Abraham Avinu discovered on his own the idea of monotheism, so he discovered it. But the relationship that ensued between HaKadosh Bochum and Abraham Avinu was dependent on HaKadosh Bochum. And that relationship, that relationship is two-sided, right? On the one hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu names Avram and Sarah, which produces a certain kind of relationship. And at the same time, Avraham agrees <coughs> to this idea of circumcision, which distinguishes Klau Yisrael from all of the other, from all the other nations of the world. So that's one interpretation. The second interpretation is found here in the Rav Tzodok, in the Sitka Tzadik. I won't, I won't read it with you, but I'll just tell you what he says. I'll tell you the important point that he makes. He says, you know, there's generally a difference between people and angels. Uh, this is not so exciting. Rav Tzodok liked to talk about angels. He thought that they were instructive. That if you talked about angels, you would understand more about people. So he says, one of the differences the Gemara says, and which seems to be the case, <coughs> is that as far as we know, right, as far as we know, angels don't have names. They only assume a name for a particular job that they have. Ah, oh, you're talking about Michael and Gabriel and... Oh, gee, you know, they get asked these questions. There are a lot of questions I don't know the answer to. So the, the Ratzodik says, angels don't have names. <coughs> On the other hand, he says that angels that have, that they get names because of their functions, because of what they're doing. So since Gabriel was a permanent angel, he had a job, so he had a name. But it wasn't like a man having a name, a woman having a name, but like Avram and Sora. Because a name for Avram and Sora represented the goal, the purpose, what it is they strike out. Or whether you give a name to an angel, <coughs> the goal is irrelevant. The angel can do anything. The angel doesn't have any trouble achieving. I mean, that's what an angel is. An angel is no problem. Nothing is a problem. So the name... The name is, is just attached to the angel for that specific time, for that purpose. That's what Tzadik says. But a person, a person, a man or a woman, they get a name or they are named because they have a 
purpose, to have a goal. And reaching that goal and doing that is not obvious. It's not obvious <coughs> so that he points out that there's a big difference between naming Avram Avraham, naming Sarai Sarah, and naming an angel, even Michael and Gabriel. He says that uh, that was their job, that's what they did. So this was a Michael angel, this was a Gabriel angel. But it didn't it express a, a kind of a, uh, an intention. There wasn't any intention. <coughs> so this reminded me, when I learned this Rav Tzadok, this reminded me of the Medrash that Rashi quotes from the Gemara and the Dorim. What does Rashi say? One of the interpretations of Rashi, that there were five Avarim that were added, put into the mix, right? The eyes, the ears, and the mind. So that Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu's job, so to speak, to be Avram Avinu, <coughs> was to be able to create a certain amount of control over those aspects of the human being that are usually not in such good control. Right? The eyes that look at things you shouldn't look at, the ears that listen to things that you shouldn't listen to, and especially the head that could be, think all kinds of thoughts that you shouldn't think about. So Avraham, according to this interpretation, might have been a challenge. It was like a Kodesh Baruch who said, now you are Tamim, and now you are ready for the real battle of life. And the real battle in life is the Tmimut, it's the, the purity <coughs> that might come if you work at it, if you do it. So that Avravinu should not think, something which would be certainly incorrect, that the promise of progeny in Eretz Yisrael was the end of Jewish history. But that perfection, human perfection, that was the end. And that no one expected even Avramavinu to achieve perfection, but changing his name <coughs> and changing the name of Sarai, <coughs> <laughs> to Sarah, that was always her name. That, that is what uh, uh, the real covenant between Akadosh Bochu and uh, Avraham Avinu was, and the real covenant was about the possibility of human perfection. You see that that the the eyes and the ears and the mind. I mean, they're part of you. You can't live without that. You can't live because the things that uh, you get that are good from the eyes and the ears and the mind. You can't live without them. But there is a danger. There is a danger, and that danger is that, the, that you go astray. You go in the wrong place. And so Akkadah said, Abraham, not like a malach, where the name of the malach is, you've made it. You are the malach for this purpose. You don't have to do anything else. No. No. Avraham Avinu, you are... Uh, <coughs> you are now beginning the sojourn into perfection. Right? It'll be a long trip. You may not even make it. But the trip is worth it. That's what HaKadosh Baruch said to Abraham. It's a worthy enterprise. You, Abraham, get along. Go, go on that path. And that's what Rav Tzodok says to differentiate between the Malach, who is essentially a finished product, always a finished product, 
And Abraham Avinu, who is always in the making, right? The perfection is always beyond him. It's true that the bris milah is a kind of perfection. <coughs> but there's another kind of perfection, which doesn't come so easily. But it may be that these perfections, these different perfections that Rashi mentions, are interrelated in the sense that one reminds you of the other, and the other reminds you of the one. And, you know, you, are, you continue to, to, make this, uh, to make this attempt at Tamim Tiyem. I would like to add a note uh, to the Shir for Parashat Lech Lecha. Rashi, in discussing the Eivarim, the parts of the body that are going to be uh, included in the new Avram Avinu, mentions the Rosh HaGviya. Now, in fact, Rosh HaGviya, the words Rosh mean head, and Gviya means the body, is a euphemistic way of referring to the, sex, to the male sexual organ. <coughs> this year, euphemism appears both in the Gemara and the Dorim, Lamed Bet, Amud Bet, which Rashi is quoting, and also in the Mishnah in Nigaim, uh, as, as this euphemism. However, uh, it doesn't explain why this is the euphemism that's chosen. And in this context, in the context of uh, free will, <coughs> and that free will was imposed on Avram Avinu even uh, to change his uh, hearing and his uh, seeing, um, somehow this has to do also with... Uh, his ability to think and make decisions and free will. And there are uh, modern commentaries who pointed out that the words Rosh Gviya, even though it's a euphemism for the sexual organ, also have a literal meaning, and that literal meaning is head of the body. And so what uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did was enable Avram Avinu to use his head to make... Uh, choices uh, to control himself, to be under control and to live a superior kind of life.